Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast. This is your host, Megan, and we have a co host today. And this is actually someone I know personally, too. Um, she is one of our VBAC doulas, and she's even a midwife now. This is Katrina. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much <laughs> for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to have you. And um, she used to live here in Utah, and then she moved far away. Well, not really that I know. far, but you feel so far now. <laughs> yes, yes. I know. I miss everybody. But you are doing amazing things where you are at. And yeah, you're in California, right? I am, yes, here on the Central Coast, so San Luis Obispo County. Perfect. And do you want to tell everyone kind of what you're up to these days? Sure. Yeah. A lot's going on for me. I'm a licensed midwife, a certified professional midwife. I'm an educator. Um, I do placenta encapsulation. I'm a labor and bereavement doula. And I have a small and intimate practice here on the Central Coast in Templeton, California, where I offer midwifery services, clinical sneak peek, gender draw, monotrice and doula services, encapsulation, and well women care. Holy smokes. A <laughs> little bit of everything, but I love it all. I don't know if you have enough fingers and toes for all the things you're <laughs> dipped into, but that is incredible. Holy cow. Thank and you. We, we're going to make sure everybody, if you're in her area, we're going to make sure to have all of her information so you can find her here in the show notes. So don't hesitate to, you know, check those out and go find her. She's incredible, you guys. Um, okay. You. Well, oh, thank you. I'm going to turn the time over to you to read a review, and then we're going to jump into our incredible story that we have today. Yeah, so I have a review to read today that was sent in by Elizabeth Pereira, and she says, wishing I had Apple Podcast right now to leave a review, but I hope this does the trick. Thank you so much for creating this whole community. After my emergency cesarean in 2019, I looked up everything possible about being able to be back. This led me to your wonderful podcast and blog. I devoured everything. I owe much of my knowledge to you all and to my doula. I'm happy to say that I had my VBAC on March 31st. Woohoo! And it was a magical experience. Thank you all so much for all of the materials you have provided, which helped me succeed. I hope one day to share my story on your podcast. Many, many thanks. Oh, I love that. And I like... We want to keep reminding you guys, we are always taking submissions for podcast recording and I am going to be recording. We have kind of batches. So if you want to share your story on the podcast, or if you want to share your story on social media, which we're also doing, please email us if you, or go to our website, the vbacklink.com slash share, and you could submit your story. Um, because we don't have so many podcasts as we do posts on social media feel free to post your information there. And we are happy to post your story and share. People are every single day searching our Instagram, looking for stories to read because they want to hear, they want to read, they want all of them. And I'm sure if you're preparing, you, you know what I'm talking about. You want it all. You want to digest it all. So if that, you know, if you want to read that or read or share, head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. 
Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Michelle from Iowa. So excited for you to share your story. As I was kind of reading through a little bit of, you know, your your summary of everything, you know, one of the things that kind of stood out to me um, and kind of connected was the feeling of not wanting to be recovering from a cesarean with a second child, like with a little one already around. And even though you had lots of support all around, you know, not wanting to have to recover and do that alone because your husband was deployed. Now my husband wasn't deployed, but he didn't have a lot of time off and had to kind of go right back to work. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm going to recover. And I did have to recover with that because I did have a repeat cesarean, but I was like, oh, I understand that like want so badly to not have to have that second cesarean to recover and raise two kiddos yes. um, without all that support. Right. Yes. Um, so oh, I connected so much, but okay. And I also connected with your baby turning breach a couple times. Like, uh, that's so stressful. I remember. Yeah. Like, so, so scary. <laughs> oh my gosh. With my feedback. I'm like, I kept telling my midwife cause my little guy kept flipping. I'm like, no, I am not going to have a repeat cesarean because this guy cannot keep his head down, (laughs) but okay. Well, we would love to turn the time over to you and share your story. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just jumping in with my first pregnancy. I I thought it was a pretty healthy pregnancy. Like it seemed pretty normal and everything. Like I didn't have any gestational diabetes. I did end up with quite a bit of fluid retention, like starting pretty early on, but my my blood pressure was always really low. So like my midwives weren't worried about it at all. Um, so I had a hospital based midwives, uh, for that birth. Now I looking back, like my diet was not good at all. Like I remember I would read about like, if, if you have like a craving, you know, just have a little bit of it, even if it's something that's not super healthy. So I'd have like a tiny little bowl of ice cream and then I'm like, well, that's not enough. So I got to have a giant bowl of ice cream too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, sometimes those little tastes can be like eating the whole gallon of ice cream. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then like when I stopped working at like 39 weeks, I didn't feel like cooking myself lunch. So I would just have like a microwave s'more for lunch. Like just in general, my diet was just not very good, but I, I felt I thought I felt okay for, for being pregnant. And so I did end up having, uh, like I said, I didn't have any gestational diabetes, but I was kind of measuring a little bit big around 33 weeks. So they ended up uh, wanting to do a growth scan and that came back just fine. He was, um, you know, in the 50th percentile ish around that area, um, except his head, (laughs) his head was like 98th percentile. And I do have big heads in my family. So I wasn't too worried about that. My midwives, most of them weren't too worried about it, but there was one that, you know, kept bringing it up when I would see her, she'd be like, oh, you know, maybe he's having a hard time. We didn't know it was a he, but maybe the baby's having a hard time engaging because he has a big head where some of the others were more encouraging. It was like, oh, maybe he had a growth spurt in his head and the rest of his body will catch up later. But this one midwife just, just kept, you know, mentioning that. And that same midwife, I also noticed where some of the others would spend several minutes like feeling around my belly to make sure they knew what position he was in. I had one check where she was just like, she felt for his head. Oh, his head's down. 
So she just like listed him as OA and didn't check anything else. So I just, yeah, I, I didn't think too much of it at the time. Like I got along with her personally and everything. So we're going along and I'm trying to do everything naturally. So I just kept waiting to go into labor and it didn't happen. We get to 42 weeks and I'm not ready to wait anymore. Like I'm not comfortable waiting anymore. My midwives are not comfortable waiting anymore. So I went in for an induction and because I wanted to do everything naturally, what they suggested and what I agreed to was to have them just break my water, to have my body go into labor on its own. And the midwife that was on that day was this midwife who kept doubting, like just kept doubting that I would be able to, I mean, she, she never said, you know, I don't think you'll be able to push out the baby with a big head, but she kept mentioning his big head, even when I went in for the induction. So I had them break my water and I think I was probably, uh, I want to say like two to three centimeters before they broke it. And I think I must've been like four centimeters because when she did break, like she must've stretched me to four centimeters because she said like, you're now in active labor, which didn't make sense to me Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't having, I was having some contractions that morning, but like, I don't Nothing didn't think I was in active labor. To be in active labor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she must have thought like, oh, <laughs> been saying like you're four centimeters, so you're in active labor. Anyway, you know, so I did, I was walking the halls and I was in the tub and things were going okay. But, and I eventually ended up with uh, the epidural and everything and Pitocin and I kept dilating, like everything was going fine. About 12 hours later and I'd had multiple, multiple cervical checks, um, get to about 12 hours later and I'm basically fully dilated, like nine and a half centimeters, got a, an anterior lip, but she keeps telling me like, he hasn't descended at all. She said, well, and then she did say like, you know, he descended a little bit, but it's just like the molding of the head, like he's not actually descending and his heart rate was starting to get elevated. So they were worried about, um, an infection. Infection. Yeah. So I was a little bit confused about it at the time, but I wasn't able to think too much of it because my epidural had fallen out. So I'd had all this buildup in a transition and everything, plus Pitocin, without being able to feel it. And now I'm feeling everything. So I wasn't able to think too much of it, but they just took me back for a C-section and we agreed to, we agreed to it, but we didn't ask any questions. We were like, and so my question that to this day, I have not had answered is why didn't they have me at least try to push? Like I was basically dilated. But in my head at the time, I was just like, well, she must just know like he's stuck. So he needs to come out. <laughs> like I said, she didn't really believe in me. Um, so I, I guess she just didn't think he was going to come out. And plus it was like probably 1030 at that point. Um, so I don't know what time shift ends, but I just, yeah. Just felt like she didn't really try. Mm -hmm. um, she wasn't in the room yeah. that much. Didn't really give me that many suggestions. Just was there and gone. And so. Kind of left you feeling hanging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they took yeah, me back. And unsupported. Yep. Yes. Yes. So they took me back for the C-section. And, you know, everything went pretty well. And, you know, I had a pretty good recovery. But, like, even from, like, the day after my C-section, I was planning for a V-back. So at my six-week follow-up appointment, different midwife uh, from the same practice <laughs> looked at my chart and she's like, yeah, you could probably have a VBAC, no problem with a smaller baby, just like seven to eight pounds. 
And she looked at my chart and saw I'd gained like 55 pounds with my pregnancy. And she's like, yeah, next pregnancy, just eat popcorn and salad and you'll grow a smaller baby and be oh. fine. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started looking around um, after that and just ki- kind of just trying to find out what my other options were for the next baby. And so at about seven months postpartum, I was able to find a home birth midwife who said she would be able to see me for a VBAC. She would do nutritional counseling because she's, she kind of informed me like, yeah, that swelling was probably because you didn't have enough protein in your diet. And I'm like, yeah, that, <laughs> that probably makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said she'd, you know, see me for a VBAC whenever that happened. She'd do like nutritional counseling and be able to do uh, a home birth or at least out of the hospital because I did live kind of far away from a hospital. So I wasn't necessarily comfortable doing an actual home birth. And then also about one to two months, somewhere in there after our son was born, um, we did find out that my husband was going to be deployed. Now he's with the National Guard. So we had, we didn't know when it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. But thankfully we had, you know, quite a bit of warning. I know like some people in the regular army, like, they're living far away from family and, you know, deployments can happen at a moment's notice. And thankfully that was not the case for us. Like since he's national guard, we were able to live where we live. We were able to live with family or close to family. And so very thankful for that. Um, And, and and again, we knew that the deployment was going to be coming. We, We had lots of notice instead of not very much notice, but that did make it difficult because we didn't know exactly when it was going to be. So we wanted to try to plan for another baby and that made it difficult to do it because we didn't know how to time it. And obviously things don't always work according to plan anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, we ended up getting pregnant about 19 months when my son was 19 months old. And basically how it ended up working out was I was right at the end of my first trimester when my husband left. Oh, which I was thankful he was there for at least the first trimester. That helped so much. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, and that was the beginning of COVID. So he was actually home quite a bit. Like he uh, took a few extra weeks off his job to like quarantine and stuff, but also just to be home, which was so nice. But when I got pregnant, I started looking around for out of hospital options. Cause that's what I'd really wanted this whole time. And no one in my area wanted to see me for a VBAC because I hadn't had any vaginal births before. I didn't have a proven pelvis. Mm. Um, even the home birth midwife who had said she would see me for a VBAC wanted to wanted me to have a vaginal birth in the hospital before seeing me for a VBAC later. But she did agree to see me for nutritional counseling and to be my doula in the hospital uh, with Great. this particular midwife practice. So yeah, that, that seemed agreeable to me. And, you know, I (laughs) had come to the point where like, I believed in my body's ability to birth a big baby, but at the same time, I was ready to commit to a much healthier diet in order to like be able to hopefully grow a smaller baby so that I wouldn't have to fight with any providers about it to have them not like try to use scare tactics or anything. So I read the book uh, "Real Food for Pregnancy" by Lily Nichols. Such I love a good that book. book. Yeah, yes. I I felt so much better like through my whole pregnancy, even in the first trimester, just focusing on eating protein with every snack, trying to go for more like complex carbs 
keep my blood sugar stable helped so much with morning sickness and I just felt so much better. That's Good. awesome. It's amazing. Nutrition is such. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say nutrition, you know, we don't really often put too much time or thought into it, but it can make such a difference in terms of how we feel, how we carry our babies and even just our mental capacity and caseload when we're well nourished. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, it's crazy how just switching it up ever so slightly can truly impact not like, like you said, the way you feel and then even outcomes as well. Mm-hmm. And recovery. And absolutely. And kudos to that midwife who stepped up and helped you with that nutritional component, because I do feel like oftentimes that is one of the pieces and elements that is left out of prenatal care. You know, we yes. talk about, are you exercising? We weigh you, we say, oh, you're gaining too much or not enough. But you know, that piece of, okay, well, what are you eating? What are you taking in? Is it processed foods? You know, what are you eating? I think sometimes is just really overlooked, even though it can have yes. such a monumental impact on you, your body and your baby. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, like I said, after, after my first baby, like the only nutritional counseling I got was, oh, you can eat popcorn and salad. Like yeah. that's just yeah. not really helpful. Not, <laughs> no, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not necessarily the the tips that you really want to take with you. Yes. Um, yeah. So then the midwife practice I was seeing in, you know, close to where I lived, like, like I said, another hospital based midwife practice. And I, again, I felt like I could get along with the midwives personally, but you know, just every now and again, just some less helpful (laughs) pieces sprinkled in, like for instance, I mentioned that one of the reasons I really wanted a VBAC is because I didn't want, we want to have a big family and I didn't want the size of our family to be determined by the way I give birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's just like, yeah, I understand that, but you know, you might get to four kids and not really want any more anyway. <laughs> like, oh. okay, but that's still not how I want my family size to be determined. Yeah. Right. And I just felt like there was just a lack of trust from the beginning. I just felt like I didn't wasn't able to make my own choices. They used a feedback calculator to determine whether I was even like eligible to mm-hmm. be in their practice. Um, they had a 41-week deadline where I had to have the baby or be induced. And I was like, I went to 42 weeks last time and I wanna like I'm I'm okay with doing that again. I'm I'm all set to do that again. But if I didn't agree to be induced by 41 weeks, I would risk out of their care and I'd have to be seen by the OBs who are not as feedback friendly. I also felt like I didn't have any choices with the glucose test. Um, I asked about alternatives and they didn't didn't allow any of that. Mm -hmm. And then I asked about like, if I was to agree to be induced, how would I be induced? And their preferred method of induction was artificial rupture of membranes, which is, I was absolutely dead set against because I feel like that's like the number one reason I ended up with a C-section with my son mm. because I felt like too early. Right. Yeah, well, and then uh, cells and all that. Yeah. The infection mm. risk as well as like, I felt like it just, since it was so early and he was kind of high beforehand, I just felt like mm-hmm. it had him settle in a bad position and then couldn't mm-hmm. get out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, so like I was dead set against artificial rupture of membranes and especially artificial rupture of membranes as the method of induction. 
Um, and then they would do Pitocin after that, but they wouldn't do like a Foley bulb or anything because apparently somehow they said that it, that increases rupture risk, which I was like, that doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> mm. um, and then even when I went in for my um, anatomy scan, they just, they wouldn't, because it was COVID, like I said, and I'd heard so many other people be like, yeah, I just had my, was able to do like a video call with, with my husband because he wasn't able to be in the room for the anatomy scan. So I thought I'd be able to do the same. And they were absolutely like, no way. Like you can't have any, any sort of video recording device. And I was, I had a total breakdown at that point. I was like, this is the only one of the very, very few parts of my pregnancy that my husband can be a part of because um, he's gone. Yeah. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's never going to be able to feel her kick. Cause she's going to be like, she was too small before he left and she's going to be born by the time he gets back. Like he can't feel her kick inside me. Like there's, there's no other part <laughs> that he can be a part of. Um, finally, they at least let me um, have him on an audio call. So Oh, I was at I'm least just over here him. shaking my head. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and how disempowering for them to, you know, pull everything away from you like that. Yes. Especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, like, we know you're not the only one that had yep. similar mm -hmm. situations like this. And it ugh, makes me. I was so frustrated and I'm still frustrated just listening to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So yeah, like the just Again, just a lot of things that I just felt like I didn't have choices and just didn't have a lot of trust. Um, so finally, <laughs> my kind of my breaking point was like I got to my glucose test and I felt great afterwards. Um, and I was just like, I'm so excited to get my results. Like I just feel good that I passed and get my results and just go on with my life and not worry about it anymore. So I waited for the call with my results and I didn't get one and it just kept not coming. And finally, I don't know if, I don't remember if it was a day later, it was far after I was supposed to get my results. They, I, I finally got a call and they were like, our, our lab lost your sample. We weren't able to test it. Oh, uh, no. So then I had to go back in and do a second one hour glucose test. And I felt horrible afterwards. I had such a bad headache, heartburn, stomachache, you name it. And um, got my results back and it was like pretty high. And I was like, I, I don't even trust that this is actually my result because I lost my sample last time. Like, I, I just don't even, that's when I just realized I, I just don't trust this practice. And I know it's a good practice. Like I even heard a story on on this podcast from someone who went to the same practice and had a great experience. Like it's a good practice. It just, in my situation, I didn't feel like I had the choices I wanted. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like, like you hear like, Oh, like this feedback supportive provider was super amazing, but like, and that's great for them, but it may not be the right supportive provider for you. It's the right. same thing, like location and everything like that. Like, even though there are some people who have had, amazing experiences that doesn't mean it's the right place or that you are feeling that support that someone else may have felt yeah um so at that point when I finally just realized like I don't trust this practice I called my the midwife who is going to be my doula and she's like 
yeah, I've been kind of holding on to this, but if you feel like you don't trust them, maybe you should just go to Iowa City. And I'd been kind of thinking that too. So I was like, yeah, I think it's time. So I switched to Iowa City, but then because she's a home birth midwife as well, she wasn't able to make the trip with me because she had her own clients for home birth. Uh, so I had to find a new doula. So I switched practices around tw like 29 weeks. Um, so then I was like 31, 32, 33 weeks looking for a doula and all the doulas in my area are booked. <laughs> so I finally found one. Um, and even though I was traveling to Iowa City, which is about a two hour drive from me, I wanted to choose one from my own area just in case I, you know, something happened because I was due in December. So like if there's a snowstorm or you know, I just, I'm having a really fast labor and I can't make it all the way. I still want to have my doula with me. So I chose one from my own area. I was finally able to find one. And then as far as now that I'm traveling two hours, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to take a three hour glucose test because that's now a seven hour ordeal. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, trying to drive two hours while starving and then three hours there and then two hours back while having like a glucose hangover. So I just decided that I was just going to test my glucose every day. And I was, I thought at first that they were going to let me do it just for a week. But then they said, since my one hour test was already elevated, they wanted me to do it the rest of my pregnancy. And I'm like, you know what? That is still worth it. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So I started doing the four hour round trip every two weeks and then every week. And it was a lot, but it was just totally worth the peace of mind just knowing like, you know, if for whatever reason I do end up with a C-section, it's going to be because I actually needed it and not because I was scared into it or because I didn't have enough patience or anything like that. And plus, I was able to listen to the VBAC Link podcast on my way. That was my companion for my drive there. Mm -hmm. um, so I started doing all the things um, for, for prep, um, eating the dates, drinking the tea, doing the walks, going to the chiropractor. And apparently I created too much space for my baby because then at 37 weeks, um, I found out my baby was breech. And um, so that particular day, my you know midwife kind of made it a little bit scarier, like, oh, you can, you know, you can try the ECV, you can do, you know, these are the things you can do, but if your baby's breech, then you're going to have to have a C-section. So that was a <laughs> stressful day and a long drive home. And that same day, I found out I had been exposed to COVID. So, and I ended up testing positive for that. I didn't end up having any symptoms beyond, like, regular pregnancy symptoms because like my nose was already stuffy every day and I was tired because I was like 37, 38 weeks pregnant trying to chase, or chase around a two-year-old by myself. Mm -hmm. um, so like, but everyone thought I was, you know, going to die. <laughs> it was just like, I'm fine. Just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but within the next couple of days, I was doing the mile circuit every night. I, and then one night I like fell asleep doing it. And when I woke up, like everything was different. Like all her movements were different. I was like, all right, she's head down again. We keep, keep going along. Um, and we we're able to confirm at my next appointment that she was in fact head down. Um, so I finished my quarantine. I was able to start going back to the chiropractor. 
and get to 40 weeks and my little gymnast keeps doing flips and she's free chicken. <laughs> so stressful. Yes. yes. But a little bit less stressful this time just because my midwife was so much more calm about it. She was just like, if baby's still flipping around at this point, she can do it again. Mm -hmm. um, yep. <laughs> so that helped so much just having her like calm presence with the whole thing. So we went ahead and scheduled the ECV just in case. And she's like, well, if you, if we have the ECV and it's successful, we'll just go ahead and induce you because you're already 40 weeks. And that way she doesn't have a chance to come out of your pelvis and flip again. But I was able to do a flipper again with the mild circuit. And at that point I started belly binding because I, I think I had like a pendulous belly probably uh, looking back. And so I just think my uterus was kind of tipped forward so she couldn't like settle in my pelvis and kept having all that room to be free floating and flipping around. So then we get to 40 weeks, six days. I started feeling some contractions. It was like 1230 in the afternoon. I was like, this feels a little bit different because I hadn't had hardly any like Braxton Hicks contractions that would actually be a little bit uncomfortable. Mostly it was just like tightening. Like, hmm, this one's actually a little bit uncomfortable. But I didn't really feel like too much yet, so I just went around about my day. I was scared to lay down because I didn't want it to stop. I didn't want to rest. So my mom came in that evening because I was supposed to have an appointment the next morning. But the contractions kind of kept going. So, you know, toward the evening, I finally started contacting uh, my doula, the hospital, and then my sister-in-law, who was going to drive me to the hospital. Tried doing some resting, took a bath, and I was able to uh, put my son to bed as an only child for the last time. I was glad I was able to do that yeah. um, before, like, just, just one last moment of normalcy. Yes. Yeah, so I, we made the two-hour drive, um, made it to the hospital about midnight. I was about four centimeters. They were able to confirm on the ultrasound that she was head down still. And I did make a point to, like, I wore my own gown for laboring because I was like, I just didn't want to get into that patient mentality. Mm -hmm. One thing I did not do that I wish I would have is I did not wear my belly binder. So I think she was still kind of floating around a little bit, but got to my own room. They were able to have me on the wireless monitor so I could keep moving around. Um, but my belly was so round that they had a hard time keeping it on her. But like this whole time, I still didn't even really feel like I was fully in labor. Like I was able to have a conversation and I definitely wouldn't have gone yet if I didn't have a two hour drive. But so my doula kept encouraging me to rest, which I did not want to do. Like I was, I wanted to be up and moving during the contractions. Like I felt like if I was on the bed and a contraction hit, then I just, I couldn't get up to move and it just made it so much worse. Then probably 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, she fell off the monitor, which I didn't think too much of, but the nurse came in to adjust it and she's moving it all around and she finally finds the heartbeat like way up high on my abdomen, which is where they'd always found her heartbeat when she was breech. I was going to so, say, how did your heart like think, uh, breech? Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, that was a total like panic. And I, I was like... Yeah, I was panicking, couldn't, like, stay calm during contractions, couldn't relax through contractions anymore. Like, I was just in a total panic. And, 
like my doula and my nurse and everything kept trying to keep me calm. And I was just like, just let me panic for a minute. Like, this is scary. Like, I don't want to be calm right now. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's a valid feeling. Like, it's okay like, to get it out, process it versus like having to like hold it in yeah. and like, deal with it until later, right? Like, it's just mm -hmm. let, it, let it be for a second. Yeah. So it was around 7 a.m. They made it in and the ultrasound confirmed she was still head down. So my thought now is probably like she was descending into my pelvis and just like her where they were able to find it just changed. But she mm -hmm. was still head down. So we were good to go. Um, and at that point, though, like I still couldn't just like calm down. I still couldn't like I was still kind of in that panic mode. And I was just like I wasn't able to cope anymore. So I was like, as long as she comes out vaginally, I don't care. <laughs> I I, I want to go all natural, or I wanted to, but now I don't care. Uh, just give me the epidural. Just <laughs> get her out. And my doula's like, yeah, you can have the epidural if you want, but let's try the shower first. And the shower was awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Like, instant relief. Like, immediately I was like, I can think clearly again. I can relax during contractions. But then almost... Almost immediately after that, I started wanting to push. And like I told my doula, I was like, I, I feel like I feel like I'm gonna push her out really fast. And my doula's like, Well, <laughs> you still need to probably pace yourself. Like it's your first time pushing, it's probably gonna be a while. So I got out of the shower. Uh, she encouraged me to go labor down on the toilet. Um, and that's when I like started actively involuntarily pushing mm -hmm. and uh, my water broke almost right away and it was kind of funny because I, I immediately like hopped off the toilet thought I'd accidentally pushed out my baby in the toilet <laughs> but um, it's just my water breaking so <laughs> it's crazy how sometimes that <laughs> that water right <laughs> yeah <laughs> we never know how it's gonna happen or what it's gonna feel like yeah which, and again, that had, hadn't happened naturally with my first either. So I, I wasn't ready for it, even though I was like, had been in labor for 19 hours and <laughs> I just wasn't ready for it. But yeah, they got me off the toilet. They like, could see, obviously, I'm pushing. So they're like, well, we better go check and see if you're complete. And so they tried to get me back to the bed and someone told me that they wanted me on my back for a cervical check and I I made it to I wanted to go on the bed and get on my hands and knees but mm -hmm. I was told I had to get on my back and I made it to the bed made it on my side and I was like I'm not moving anymore I'm done I'm not moving anywhere <laughs> so then I was complete and they were letting me push I was like well that's good because there's no way I'm gonna be able to stop even if <laughs> even if you tell me I can't yeah once your body takes over control like that's it yeah and so like I I felt really good like having my legs closed trying to push but they like you know had me keep opening my legs and so I just in retrospect, I can't help but wonder like if they'd let me have my knees together and my feet apart if that would have felt better for me but that's not what happened. So, and the funny thing is what I remember most is what I could hear throughout this whole thing. So like when they were trying to open my legs for me or just like getting things ready and I didn't like it, I just remember be saying like, no, no, no. And I just remember thinking like, even in that moment, like I've, I just, 
feel like I sound like my son. I feel like I sound like my two-year-old. <laughs> but that's all I could say at the time. And then I just remember the sound of myself, like grunting while I was pushing. I remember the sound of everyone in the room, just like really loudly, like, yes, 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 push. Like they weren't coaching, but like just really loudly encouraging. And then behind all of that, what I really remember, what really stands out to me is I was able to have my husband on FaceTime and just like his voice being like the calm voice, like just the calm, steady encouragement. And that was Mm -hmm. so helpful. So yeah, that's what I remember most. And then just like being on my side was what I did really like about it was just like being able to completely and totally relax my whole body in between contractions. Like Mm -hmm. if I'd been on my hands and knees, I still would have had to at least hold myself up. But just being on my side with just total rest during contractions, which was really nice. Really lovely, I'm sure. Yeah. So then she was born at 8.14 a.m. So I'd been in the hospital for like eight hours. And she was born OP, and I only pushed for 11 minutes. Wow. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So my first thought is like, yeah, I probably could have. Like, she was a lot smaller than my son, but I was like, if he was in a good position, and she was, she did end up being OP. Like if I can push her out in 11 minutes, I probably could have pushed him out if he'd been in a good position. Like mm-hmm. to everyone who doubted me, like I, I'm pretty sure I could have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to um, announce the gender because we didn't know beforehand. So I like, I got to do that and I got to cut the cord, which was, which was great. Um, very special. But um, I did end up having a third degree tear um, and definitely some sacral bruising, which makes sense because she came out really fast yeah. and she was OP. But she was just over two and a half pounds smaller than her brother. So it kind of makes sense where she got all that extra room to be flipping around. Um, but um, even with, you know, some of the uh, bigger injuries of the, the third degree tear, like I still felt like what most people describe with a second degree tear. So like I had a pretty easy recovery. It was still much easier than a C-section, even though I had an easier recovery from my C-section. And I, I will say I did also have like a little bit of a lack of that immediate connection, just like being completely unmedicated and not quite expecting her to come that fast. My first thought when they like pulled her out and put her on me was where did this baby come from? (laughs) Like, this is not my baby. Um, But of course it was, because no one else brought a baby in from another room. Like, this is my baby (laughs) that I just pushed out. (laughs) Just magically appear right here. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I I did do something before this. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. Um, But yeah, she was the first vaginal birth out of all the grandkids on both sides of the family, they've all been born by C-section for various reasons. Yeah. Mm, My, and my mom, my parents have six kids. The first two were born vaginally, but then like she had some pretty bad birth injuries. So they had her uh, have C-sections for the last four of us. So on my side of the family, she's the first baby born vaginally in like 40 years. Um, And so that was pretty cool. Just being able to like, break the traditions and set my own standards and goalposts and yeah yeah that's been all so what did everybody think when you're like hey i want to do this v-back 
like in your family? Well, my mom definitely understood but didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for the most part, my family was pretty supportive. My husband was very supportive. His his mom has eight kids. Um, they were all like all natural. Um, the last one was a home birth. Um, so like they're all on board with like all natural. And so, yeah, they, they were pretty, they were supportive for the most part. Um, like I said, yeah. my mom understood, but didn't understand. She didn't understand like not wanting to be induced. Um, she didn't fully she didn't, understand. Yeah. She didn't understand me wanting to make my own decisions rather than like just following whatever the provider says. Like, mm-hmm. 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 yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a little while now. Um, she'll be two in December, so and it's great too because like I never was able to decide where to start on like writing down a birth story or anything. So it's nice being able to uh, fully get it out, all all kind of in order and everything. So mm-hmm. I love it. Awesome. Well, Miss Katrina has a little bit of our end of, you know, our end of topic, you know, how at the end of episodes, we like to share an extra topic. And so I'm so excited to hear today what she's going to bring to you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I have um, a few tips that I'd like to share. And then I have um, a little bit of a piece of a home birth after cesarean that I wanted to share that I attended. So The beliefs that you hold in your abilities of your mind and your body are hugely influential in preparing for your birth. So the following are some tips that I've put together to support an empowering birth experience. The first is to cultivate your physical, mental, and spiritual strength, stamina, and endurance. Second is to love yourself. Be mindful with your nutrition and your hydration. Manage your stress. Make yourself a priority when it comes to self-care and both emotional and physical elements and prioritize your rest and sleep. Number three, build the best birth team you can and one that will support you in all components of your pregnancy, labor, birth, and postpartum periods, including the emotional, mental, and physical support. And don't forget that this birth team works for you and you can replace team members at any point if they no longer align with your values and your goals. Number four, arm your tool belt with knowledge Practice physical positioning and utilization of your comfort tools. And last, number five, move, move, move. Your mind, body, and baby need movement and motion throughout your pregnancy, labor, birth, and beyond. Mm -hmm. And in closing, I just wanted to share that I trust birth fully. I believe in personal autonomy, informed decision-making and consent, and birth options for all birthing people. And wanted to share, like I said earlier, just... I was, I had the honor and privilege of attending a beautiful home birth after cesarean just over a year ago. And this family was amazingly strong and determined and they birthed their baby in the comfort of their home at 42 weeks on the dot and had a beautiful baby boy who was 11 pounds and 15 ounces. Mm -hmm. Love it. That just like, just gave me chills because it's like, Yes. Like this is possible. This is possible. It is. It's possible. I mean, women and birthing people are amazing and incredible. And I, I truly believe following your intuition and seeking the support that you feel that you need and desire is just monumental in terms of the entire birth experience. It's, oh, it goes back to even like proven pelvis and like Mm -hmm. all of that, right? Like why, why? 
why do we have to prove ourselves? Mm-hmm. Like, why do we have to do that? Because I feel like when someone says like, I can't do this because you have to prove to me. And then if we don't quote unquote prove in the way that they see it, then we feel like we failed. That's where, I mean, mm-hmm. these, these words fail, this failure word, this, this word failed, like it comes up way too often. And yeah, I just, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like right. it. Right. Well, and ultimately everyone should have the opportunity to have a trial of labor. There's no reason not to let people do that. I agree. Absolutely. Oh, well, I love it. Thank you both for being with me today. So happy that you're both. And congratulations, Michelle. I love your story. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be able to finally share my story. Yeah. It's great to be on after listening throughout my pregnancy and everything. Yes. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you both for your time. And again, like congratulations, Michelle and Katrina. I just, I'm blown away with all the amazing things that you're doing. I mean, you're always have been amazing, but like, it's just like you keep adding to this amazing resume. And so I'm so happy for you. you. Thank you. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at the vbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.